All right. Here we go. Here we're going to jump into part two of a message that I started last Sunday. Uh, talked about impacting lives. Impacting lives. Um, I mean, if you want to open your Bibles this morning, we're, we're gonna, there's a few passages we're going to look at. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to spend a little bit of time in there. Uh, I spoke last week about the relationship between Jonathan and David, and uh, I was so struck in, in reading this passage by the posture that David, I mean, Jonathan took towards David. The posture that Jonathan took towards this young man who God had called and anointed to be king. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, we read about Samuel, I mean, Jonathan and David. It says this, as soon as he, that is David, had been speaking to Saul, the king, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. An amazing picture here of the way that God moves in one person's heart and life on the behalf of someone else. The selfless act of Jonathan to take those items that identified him as the son of the king and the rightful heir of the throne in the kingdom of Israel. He removed those from his person and he put them on David. And it was interesting to note, I mentioned last week, that just a few chapters or a few verses earlier, we see Saul, when David comes out to fight Goliath, Saul tries to put his armor on, Jonathan, on David and it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Saul, uh, David says, this, this doesn't work for me. I can't use these. Yet when Jonathan puts his armor and his tunic and his sword and his bow on David, David receives them from Jonathan. It mentioned that Jonathan was the crown prince. He wasn't just a prince. He was the crown prince. And David was a nobody. Yet Jonathan gave up his right, his right full place and his inheritance so that David would be promoted ahead of him. And I finished last week by asking this question. Sometimes what we do is we go, Lord, can you bring a Jonathan into my life? I need someone in my life to be a Jonathan. And really the better question is this, Lord, how can I be a Jonathan to someone else? How can I serve the call of God on someone else in a way that thrusts them forward, even at the cost of me remaining where I'm at. The New Testament, we looked at the story of Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 11. I want to read this passage as well. It's the, it's the New Testament picture of this same heart, because what we see in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, we see these themes and threads that, that don't just tell us about the people in Scripture. What it does is it reveals the heart of God. It tells us a story about who God is, and that's why we want to pay attention to these narratives. In Acts 11, chapter, uh, verse 
Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says this. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. This being a church that was started in Antioch as a result of the persecution that came after the stoning death of Stephen, of which Saul had stood and watched over and presided over. And so this church starts in Antioch, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Let me stop right there. What this is essentially saying is Barnabas was a capable leader. He was a capable leader. He was a good guy. He had good character. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He's gifted. We see in other places where he leads well. But then something interesting happens. Verse, 26, uh, verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So again, just as a synopsis, a nutshell of the story here, Barnabas had encountered Saul right after his conversion and had gone before the Jerusalem council and promoted him and said, in the midst of their fear, going, this is the guy who's killing Christians. Why would we accept him as one of our own? And Barnabas stood up and said, no. He's okay. God's done a work in his life. And somewhere along the line, Saul had shared with Barnabas the fact that God had spoken to him and said, you are the one, Saul, that I'm choosing to use as my instrument to reach the Gentiles. Ten, twelve years in that range passes between that encounter and what we find here in Acts chapter 11. Barnab- I mean, Saul has been in, in, in Tarsus now for almost or just over a decade. Yet when Barnabas shows up in Antioch and recognizes that this is a Gentile church, an unsanctioned Gentile church, it was not started out of the church in Jerusalem. It was a group of believers who came together and said, hey, we all love Jesus. Let's be the church. And so they did. And so they send Barnabas to check it out. And when he gets there and he realizes this is a Gentile church. And somewhere deep in the recesses of his heart and mind, he remembers Saul. Saul was the one that God said he would use to reach the Gentiles. I can't wait to have that conversation with Barnabas. If, if we get to do that in heaven, I hope we do. Because I just want to be like, what, what was going on inside of you? How did that look? How did that process for you? Because Barnabas had to make a decision. He had to make a decision. He, he's in this place. He's been dispatched as the leader, as the, as the elder, as the one to, to, to verify and lead this church. And he recognizes there's a good work going on. And it says of him, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. And, and, and lots of great ministry was happening. And he could have very easily in that moment said, I'm going I'm I'm to let this thing be my thing. I'm going to step in and take, take charge. But he doesn't. He gets on a boat and he travels and he's inconvenienced to go and find Saul and bring him back. And the two of them start ministering together and ultimately Saul becomes Paul 
His name is changed. And we see the narrative change. We see the wording change where it goes from Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and then it flips and it says Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas takes a second seat, a back seat to the Apostle Paul, who we are so familiar with. Half of the New Testament written by this godly man who had this radical conversion, but because of one person who stood with him and believed in him and listened to him, and listened to him, Paul became the man that we now know. Barnabas, by the way, his name means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Last week, we looked at some of the lies that the culture tells us, the world tells us when it comes to impacting lives. And the, and the lies we looked at last week were these, that it's competition versus connection. That we're told that we compete with the people around us, that the people in your life, the people around you are your competition, and that you have to outperform them, you have to do better than them. And we bring that into the church. And I said that we cannot connect with people we're competing with. Amen? You can't have a deep connection with someone that you are in competition with. We talked about the fact that our culture says that we need to be successful at any cost. Do whatever you need to do to get ahead. Now, success is not a bad thing, but it's success at any cost. And it's success that comes by stepping over and walking over people does not honor the Lord. It's not what God has called us to. So we talked about success versus surrender, that God calls us to a life of surrender, surrendering our own ambition, surrendering those things that, that, that we would pursue after and say, Lord, we want to just push hard and follow hard after you to surrender our lives in obedience to the Lord. The Bible says that God desires obedience over sacrifice. And sometimes our success is driven by, Lord, I, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to do for you. I'm going to accomplish for you. And God says, no, I just want your heart. I just need you to surrender. I need you to lay those things down. And we talked about being known versus making God known. The lie being that we have to make a name for ourselves. You have to make a name for yourself, that, that the goal in life is for people to know who you are. Can I tell you, more and more I am realizing that the only goal of my life needs to be making Jesus known. I don't care who knows me. I'm a lot more concerned about who knows Jesus. If God chooses to move in my life to help that happen, praise the Lord. I pray that it is the same with you. But today I want to press into something that we briefly touched on last week, and it's this. The lie of the world and the culture says that you need to be heard. Speaking versus listening. The world tells us, and, and we're, we're shaped in this in our culture and in this day and age of social media and, 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 and the ease with which your voice can be made known, we bought into this idea that we all have something important to say. Now, if we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's an important thing to say, wouldn't you agree? But unfortunately, it doesn't remain pure. It doesn't remain that wholesome and, and good. What, what ends up happening is our pride gets puffed up a little bit. 
and our ego, or maybe even from the side of insecurity, we start feeling insecure. And so if I can just get my voice out there, if more people can hear what I have to say, and I just need to be heard versus committing ourselves to really listening well. Did you know this, that God is a great listener? Did you know that? I hope you do. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I, and I'm... I, I know this about myself. Any, anyone else you'd say, I'm not a good listener? Okay, good. I'm, pay, I'm watching. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we as a society are not good at listening. We're good at talking. And I'm, ta- I'm not talking about like just being quiet. I'm actually talking about paying attention and hearing people when they say things. We are not good at listening, but God is an amazing listener. It says in Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. God hears you. He is committed to hearing you. He inclines himself. He inclines his ear. He leans in. Say, what are you saying? That the Lord is a great, Listener, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what does it say? Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God is a great listener. He hears you. He is listening to you. Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, talks about incarnational listening. Incarnational listening or listening incarnationally. Incarnation is a big word that that I think for many people they go, I've heard that before, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean for us? And in order to understand what incarnation means for us, we have to first look at what did it mean for God? What does incarnation mean or incarnationally mean when it comes to the Lord? Whether well, the word incarnation is is to to is when God, when Jesus became a man, that God took on flesh. That is the incarnation. That God became like the creation. Didn't have to. Didn't need to. But he chose to in order to to bring salvation to his creation. God stepped out of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and he became incarnate. He became present with his creation. So incarnation is that, that process of being with or to be present with. I want to read this passage out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. And you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with listening? We'll get there. Believe me, we're going to get there. Well, I, we need to understand what this incarnational aspect is. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who we were just talking about, says this to us and to the church in Philippi. Do nothing, say do nothing, do nothing. out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. You know, sometimes you read a passage of scripture and you're like, I could just stop there. Right? The Lord's just doing all kinds of work already. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others 
above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Sounds a lot like Jonathan and Barnabas. By the way, think about this. Paul's writing these words knowing what Barnabas did for him. Paul's writing these words knowing that he can write these words because someone did this for him practically in his life. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot going on here. One of the most impactful portions of Scripture that we have available to us because it paints this picture of who Jesus is and what He did. See, the incarnation was not just an inconvenience or just a bump in the road. It wasn't just a... Ah, I guess I'll go do this thing. That when Jesus became incarnate, that he emptied himself. There's a word, the Greek word, kenosis. He emptied himself of everything that made him God to become like his creation. So that he could be incarnate, so he could be fully present, so that the the plan and the will of the Father could be played out in his life. He says that he was obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why the distinction? Well, there's lots of ways you can die. There's a lot of ways you could die in those days. Sickness and accidents and all kinds of things. But to die on the cross was a shameful death. It was a shameful death. And so Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father to the point of dying a shameful, very public, and very painful death. And he took on the nature of a servant. See, the incarnation is about putting ourselves the way that Jesus did, putting ourselves second. By taking on that nature, that humility as a servant and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay myself down. I'm going to empty myself and be fully present so that the person that I'm serving or the people that I'm serving have the opportunity to see and know God. So for us to listen incarnationally means something very deep. See, we need to connect some dots here. Our goal as Christians is this, is to be more like who? Our goal as Christians is to be more like who? Jesus. All right, good. If you didn't know that, now you do. Your goal as a follower of Jesus, that's why we're called Christians, is to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. 
Romans chapter 8, that we would be conformed to his image, that we would reflect the glory of God in our lives, that we would resemble him here on the earth. Our goal is to look like Jesus, and not just to look like Jesus, but to act like Jesus. You remember the WWJD bracelets? Any, anyone, have, anyone still have one? Anyone wearing one right now? I love that picture, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's a great reminder, that whole, that whole uh, just movement, to, to be reminded, what would Jesus do? But you see, it's not just about the act, it's about the posture behind the act. And I talked last week about if we want to impact lives, we have to change our posture in relation to God and our, in relation to the people around us. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and repent of the places of sin in our lives. And we have to take on a posture with people that says, you know what, I'm not just trying to use you to get ahead. I'm not just trying to use you to get ahead. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I know what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. And if that's what he did, guess what he calls us to do? calls us to do the same. Now, when's the last time you thought, you know, I really need to empty myself? I need to just lay down everything that makes me, me. I, probably not a lot. Because what we do is we pride ourselves on the things that make us, us. Come on, somebody, it's quiet in here today. We pride ourselves on what makes us, us. It's the part of us that we want people to see. It's that part of our personality. It's a part of how we dress and how we carry ourselves. We want people to see us. And Jesus says, no, I want you to empty yourself. And he provides an example by humbling himself. See, to minister like Jesus ministered to the people around us, we need to be present like Jesus was present. And I've got to tell you, I know this in my life, and I'm sure it's true in your life. It seems like sometimes we're just running past each other. And there's very little, even in our homes, that the time we have to sit and sit with someone and look into their eyes and listen to the words that they're saying is so few and far between. And I know some people would go, well, it's social media. I, I think part of it began with, remember TVs and TV trays? This has been going on for a long time. See, because the enemy is going to try and find every opportunity he can to bring disconnect in our lives. Because if we're not connected and if we're just looking out for ourselves, what we're not going to do is hear what God is speaking into the lives of the people around us. And if I'm not hearing what God is speaking into someone's life and what's going on in their life, how am I possibly going to be Jesus to that person? How am I possibly going to be able to bring the, the, the love and the compassion and the mercy of God to bear in their lives? And what ends up happening is we become so self-focused, we forget that we're surrounded by people. Yet in the midst of that, what is the cry of our hearts? I want someone to hear me. I want someone to hear me. 
See, we want to be heard. And it's not a bad thing. But it can't be the only thing. James 1.19 through 20 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, that means you and me, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think it's one of those verses that we, we hear, we might even kind of know, but we don't pay a lot of attention to. See, because Paul says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't result in the righteousness that God is looking for in his church. You see, we want to be heard. And it's not always a bad thing, but the enemy distorts it. See, listening doesn't come naturally to us because our nature is sinful. We're born into sin and we're self-centered and prideful. I won't ask you to raise your hands because everyone would need to raise their hands. We're born into that and we're broken and thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who has done a redeeming work in our lives. But can we just all agree we're a work in progress? My wife does not wake up every day going, I'm so thankful you look just like Jesus. I'd love that, but I know I got work to do. Can I get an amen? I've got work to do. You have work to do in your life to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So listening doesn't come naturally. And so we have to be on our guard, which is why James wrote what he wrote. Be quick to listen. I, quick to listen. He doesn't say just listen. Be quick to listen. Why? Because the first inclination of our, of our hearts is this, to speak. I've got something to say. How many of us have been in a conversation and we're waiting for the gap when that other person will stop speaking so that we can insert what we've been thinking about the whole time. I'll ask for hand raise on that one. We've all been there. I'm not actually listening to you. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. And if there's any kind of tension that exists in that relationship, what's coming next is probably going to be a zinger. I'm going to get you. And you're going to feel it. We don't listen well because our nature is to put ourselves first. I wonder how much of our conflict is birthed out of simply not listening. How much of the conflict in our marriages, in our homes, can really be boiled down to this. We don't listen to each other. We often hear just what we want to hear, but we don't actually listen to someone. Megan, my wife, made a comment to me this week. I was, we were in just figuring some things out, and there's just been a lot of activity in our home lately, and, and, uh, and she was bringing some correction to me. She was pointing something out that I had not done correctly. And, and, and I don't despise her for it. I'm learning to welcome it because she has a perspective and she cares about me. And it's something that God is doing in our marriage and in our lives that I'm thankful for. But I, 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 
in, in what she was saying to me, I just turned quickly to her and I said, you're right. And she stopped and she turned and looked at me and she says, I don't want to be right. I want to be heard. Right? <laughs> you know, I just stopped in that moment. How often does God speak to us and we go, God, you're right, you're right, you're right. And he goes, I don't want to just be right. I want you to hear me. I want to be heard. How often do the people in our lives that we give them a quick answer, but they know they've not been heard? How many times have you longed for someone to hear the words that you're talking only to be blown off and what that does inside of you? A level of brokenness and distrust that comes when you go, wow, you can't even listen to me. How many arguments and disagreements and misunderstandings and even wars have started because people refuse to listen to each other? See, the goal of listening is not conflict avoidance. I don't listen to my wife or my children to get them off my back. It's not the goal of listening. When we listen to people, what do we do? We value them. We care for them. We honor them. We partner with them. And we see, help, see God's call and help God's call to be released in their lives. See, listening is not easy. It takes discipline. It takes work. It takes the awareness that we need to create in our posture a safe place where someone can speak and that we will hear what, the, what it is that they're saying. I want to close with three quick things, three things that I think are important when it comes to our posture in listening. And you can write these down if you like. First is this, listen to what's being said. Listen to what's being said. Now that sounds easier than it really is. Because I don't know about your brain and your heart, but mine are pretty noisy. Anyone else? There's a lot going on. One of the reasons I like going to bed at night is because it seems to shut off, and that doesn't always work either. I wake up, and I'm like, what was that dream all about? There's a lot going on in our heads and in our hearts. There's a lot stirring. And in order for us to listen, we have to consciously say, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stop. I'm going to put myself in a position to actually listen to what this person is saying to listen to the words, to tune out, to take captive all of those thoughts that want to press their way in. See, listening to what's being said takes us positioning ourselves to listen, even physically. There's places where I will meet with people, coffee shops where I'll sit down with people, where I know I cannot be facing the door because every person that walks through the door, I'm going to be looking like this the whole time. It's not even that I, I, I mean to. It's just right? Squirrel. That came out weird. Squirrel. Shiny object. What? What? So I have to, if I'm in a meeting with someone, I know this, or I'm sitting and having a conversation. I just have to pick a chair where there's the, and it can't be a TV on the wall. 
If you want to have good dates, don't go to restaurants with TVs. Even if the game is on, guys, and some of you gals. Be conscious about how you're postured when you're listening. I, I just, I, I usually, it's just a comfortable posture for me, but I tell you what, my wife elbows me and she's like, put your arms down because you're not, you're not creating an environment that says, hey, I'm wanting to hear what you have to say. Looks like I'm angry. And so you have to become aware of just little things like that. Move your eyes so they're not distracted. Focus. This is a discipline. Sit across the table from someone and just determine, I will focus on what they are saying and listen. Now, don't get so focused on focusing that you still miss what they're saying. (laughs) But it takes work because I tell you what, when it comes to doing this in our lives, we're out of shape. We've got some work to do to build up that muscle. Beware of the fight. Uh, Beware of and fight the urge to become self-focused. Because usually what happens is someone will say something and it'll either affect us emotionally, it'll trigger something inside of us, or it will remind us that we need to pick up a gallon of milk at the store. Fight the urge to allow your thinking to become self-focused. Keep your eyes on that person and just keep asking, what is it that they're saying? What does that mean? I feel this emotion coming up. I feel this response. Lord, help me set that aside. Call on the Lord to push that aside and say, Lord, I want to hear. Resist the urge to insert your comments, thoughts, and opinions. We've all been in those conversations where you share something deep and meaningful and then the conversation pauses. I'm pointing at Jason. Jason doesn't do this. He's a great listener. (laughs) And as soon as you stop, they're like, oh yeah, it's like this time when boom. And and the next thing they're telling their life story and you realize "I I wasn't, you didn't hear a word I was saying. Resist the urge to be that person who says, wow, this is the gap in the conversation. Let me insert my comments, thoughts, and opinions. Be aware of your emotions, your frustrations, and your expectations. Maybe that person you're talking to, maybe it's an important conversation, and they're not meeting your expectations in the conversation, and you grow frustrated. Stop and just listen to what they have to say. Another good thing to do is this, ask open-ended questions. Again, we're not good at this as a culture. Hey, how you doing? Fine. Good. Hey, what's God been speaking to you lately? Hey, what what are some things in your life that you're just celebrating right now? Hey, what's going on in your life that I could pray with you about? And ask questions that help people come out of themselves a little bit. And create that safe place. Learn to ask great questions. The next thing is this. Listen to what is not being said. Right? We, know, we get this. How are you doing? Fine. <laughs> I don't think you're fine. Now, it might not be the right time to have a conversation. Hello? But in the midst of a conversation, you're sitting down with someone and you ask them a question... And they answer it, but you recognize, no, there's a lot more going on. Be aware of that. Be aware of facial expressions. Just be sensitive to, well, this person might not be 
sharing their heart. They might not be opening up. They might be holding back. A great question to that, to that is, is there something I'm doing that's not making it safe for them to share? Good question to ask. But read, in, read into, and I'm not, and I'm not, not in a weird way, but we have discernment, church. We have discernment. So I, I've, I've known my wife long enough now that I can tell when she's okay and when she says she's okay, but she's not okay. You know what I'm talking about? And so then it's on me to go, okay, how can I, how can I help her? Is there a place where we need to press in and have a conversation, learn to listen to what's not being said? And then finally, and, and I'm going to end with the most important part, is this, listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. Not only does God speak, uh, listen, He speaks. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. In the case of Jonathan and David and Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Jonathan were good listeners. It says that Jonathan overheard the conversation that David had with his father. And in the midst of him hearing what David said, his soul was knit to David's soul. Jonathan was a great listener, and it put him in a place where he could then be a blessing in the life of David. In the midst of your relationships, be aware of what God is saying. Again, not just for you, though he will speak to you, but learn to ask God, learn to be in a place where you say, God, what are you wanting to say to this person? What are you saying about them? Pete Scazzaro uses something called turn to wonder. We'll hear things, people say things, and, and it'll kind of hit us like, wow, that's an interesting thing to say. Turn to wonder is this. I wonder what in their past, I wonder what in their lives has caused them to start thinking this way. And God, what do you say about it? Now, there's a way to do this and still not be distracted, still, to still be engaged. See, we are a prophetic people. You are a prophetic people that the Spirit of God is in you and will speak to you. And very often in the midst of a conversation when you are listening, the Spirit of God will stir your heart for that person. And that doesn't always mean that you have to say what God is speaking to you. Doesn't always have to be that you have to actually say it out loud. God might be speaking to you to say, this is a point of prayer for this person. And I just need you to get on your knees and intercede for this person in this area that I am showing you, that I'm entrusting to you, that I'm calling you into partnership with, with, with me in. And here's the thing, church. As we empty ourselves of ourselves, we give place for the Holy Spirit of God to fill that void and move in our lives in the same way he did in the life of Jesus Christ. See, God is up to something in people's lives, and he's asking us to partner with them, to impact their lives, to propel them forward, but we have to listen to what God is doing and what he is saying. Ask for discernment. Ask God to speak to you in the midst of your relationships. I want to invite the worship team to come forward as we close. I want to finish with this story one of the greatest examples in the life of Jesus of this is the encounter he had with the woman at the well. 
the Samaritan woman at the well, that Jesus listened to her. He had this encounter with her, and, he, and there was all kinds of things that were out of the norm. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. He wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman who was at the well. There was all of these cultural things that were, were impressed upon them, yet Jesus has this encounter. And in the midst of this brief encounter, as Jesus listens to her, as he asks some questions, and then as he, as he is led by the Holy Spirit, salvation not only comes to that lady... To that woman, guess what she does? She runs into town and announces to the village, hey, you got to come meet this guy who just told me everything about who I am. And that community gets to see Jesus. That when we posture our lives in the way that Jesus did, and we humble ourselves before him and we, we empty ourselves in our relationships and say, I want to be, I want to I hear before I, I'm heard. I want to listen before I speak. That we truly would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and definitely slow to become angry. As we engage with people the way that Barnabas and Jonathan did and say, Lord, how do I help become a force in this person's life to help them drive them forward and push them forward into everything that you have for, for them? Such a different approach, such a different way. But I tell you what, God is honored. God is honored when we live and listen that way. Let's stand together as we close. Jesus. We need your help, Lord, because we're not good at this. But you're the master. You are the master, and you will, your word says that, that by your Holy Spirit, that you will guide us in all truth, that you will rem remind us of everything that Jesus did and taught. And so we invite you in our lives to cause us to be better listeners. Help us to hear your voice. And Lord, help us to be attentive to, attentive to the, the, the people around us, Lord. In our homes, in our marriages, in our closest relationships, in our friendships, Lord. And even that person that we just bump into at the coffee shop. God, you're moving. Always moving. Show us where we can partner with you. I have homework for you today, church. Before you leave this place, would you determine, would you make a decision to sit down with one person that God would put on your heart that you know that you need to do a better job listening to? And would you set a time and a place to meet with them? And go, don't go into it going, hey, I heard this great sermon about listening and I'm going to practice on you. Don't do that. Unless they're in this room, then you can laugh about it. But just go in and do it. Because the kingdom of God is not about talk, it's about action. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's worship as we close.